The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Ladies and gentlemen, it's an honor to welcome this singer, songwriter, recording artist. He's had more than 1,000 songs recorded by country artists. Sonny Throckmorton, our guest, is an inductee in the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame. In addition to his own recordings, some of the greatest artists of all time have recorded his songs. George Strait, Merle Haggard, Mo Bandy, Jerry Lee Lewis, John Connolly. I could keep on going. Recently, the 2019 album from Willie Nelson, Ride Me Back Home, has a song written by Sonny Throckmorton, The Title Cut. In addition, Sonny Throckmorton has some great recordings of his own. I've been listening lately to his recent album entitled A New Kind of High. First of all, Sonny, congratulations on getting the title cut of this new Willie record. And thank you very much for joining us on this show. Well, thank you. And uh, what a pleasure it is to talk to y'all this morning and to you particularly. (laughs) How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. And I have to say, I've wanted to interview you for a long time. You are one of my absolute favorite songwriters, so it's good to connect. Well, thank you so much. Why do you write? You know, it's almost like I have to. It, I started writing when I was very young, and it was it was like the first song I wrote. I didn't know anything about songwriting. I didn't know people wrote songs. I just was in church and started singing this song I wrote, and uh, I was fairly young and I thought I was some kind of freak you know but I found out that people write songs and I guess I was one of those people and since then I mainly I try to write you know I, I say God puts it on my plate and I try to get it down as good as possible it's never as good as he gives it to me but that's where I write and that's why I write and it, it's in my heart you know so it's never about the money it's all about I just want to I want to bless somebody. You know, I want people to cry when they hear my songs. I want them to laugh. I want them to feel something good. And it's it's the only thing that I can give, you know. I'm not rich, but I can give them that, you know, and get back in that way. Plus, it's a great thrill to do that. You mentioned these different things. You want to make them laugh. You want to make them cry. And I have to say, some of your songs, I can laugh and cry in the same song. And that's a really rare thing. <laughs> you know? Boy, yeah. And it seems like humor is a very big part of what you do. You know, even when there is something kind of sad, there's there's a cleverness. There's always something that makes you grin. How important do you think humor is in this life? Well, it's, it's next to spirituality. It's, uh, it's the number one thing, I think. And it probably is a big part of spirituality. You know, where you're at with your spiritual deal, a lot of times going to have where you, if you're going to be laughing or, so I think it's a great thing. You know, it's, it's the best. It's very important. What was life like growing up? Well, it was kind of tough. I had a dad that was a traveling evangelist and, uh, pastor and sometimes he had pastor and sometimes we'd go on the road and sometimes we'd go somewhere and build a new church in a strange town you know with the tent we'd start with the tent and then dad would build it on into a church we did that several times and 
but it was pretty sparse. Times we, you know, we had uh, we weren't real healthy at times from lack of food and stuff like that. But other than that, I mean, you know, we always had food. I mean, we always had something to eat. It may not have been the best, but uh, it was rough. But it was great too because you know got to be. Every week I get to be in touch with, you know, I go to church and hear the great songs and the singing. And so it was really good. And all in all, it was wonderful, to tell you the truth. On the note of church, was that kind of music, gospel, spiritual kind of music, was that ever an influence on you? Yeah, it's probably that. Between that and my, I had a lot, I had a lot of, that's really all I heard, you know, when I was growing up was gospel hymns, Pentecostal and just old Baptist and those kind of hymns. And that's what I grew up on. And we didn't we didn't play anything other than that in our house, you know. And so I grew up on that. But my dad, he didn't let us listen to popular music because it was, you know, he felt that would be a bad influence. But he would let me listen to Mexican music. So I would, uh, being down in Texas, a lot of times I'd turn into some station down in Vietnam, New Mexico or something like that. They'd blast all night long. They'd play nothing but, but Mexican music. And I grew up on that. That and gospel has been a, a large influence on, on what I do, I think. You know? That's really interesting about the Mexican music. I think it was Bob Dylan, and he was saying that some of the melodies that you hear in Mexican music, they're just out of this world. They are. They're the greatest. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know he said that, but I sure agree with him. Yeah. They are. Well, when you did eventually start listening to the recordings, like popular kind of music or country records, can you tell us some of your favorite artists early on, artists and bands maybe? Well, I think the first time I knew I really was hooked on something was probably in the latter part of my high school and uh, of course at that time you had Elvis doing train I ride stuff like that which was really country it just had a beat to it and I, I loved that and I, of course all the early rock and roll I loved and, and Ray Price and just a bunch of them Marty Robbins I don't know a bunch of them I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about what do you think the biggest sin a songwriter can commit in songwriting? Hurry up, hurry. <laughs> you can't mail it in, you know. You're going to sit and figure it out. It's a puzzle, you know, you put together. And if it's the harder it is, the longer it'll probably take. Is there a certain environment that you like to set when you're writing with somebody? Are there ideal conditions that you can have? Not really, no. Do you have routine in terms of, of, like, a certain process when you write? No. No. So you're saying you don't have much of a routine when it comes to writing, but is writing something you do every day? Do you write a little bit every day? Unfortunately, I don't. I'm sorry, I really don't. I, <laughs> I only write when God gives me something to write. So... I mean, I, I sometimes I'll sit down with people and try to write a song, you know, and and uh, it's pretty foreign to me, really, because mostly I'm I'm looking for inspiration, not a title, you know, or you know, I'm looking for a melody, not a title. And it seems like a lot of people bring the 
what they bring to the table is a title, you know, and uh, sometimes that's not as inspirational as having a good melody or something, you know. So I don't always have good melodies, so I don't always write. So I kind of wait for, you know, wait for it to come to me. That's the way I do it. Has there been something that you have found has been a greatest source of inspiration for you? Uh, I don't, probably not. I just, uh, if I'm understanding the question, I I think just the music itself, you know, just the love of music is, is, and I I go around singing all the time. I'm, I, I don't know this, but people tell me I do this. I've always, I guess I've kind of got a song in my head all the time, you know? And it won't be my song a lot of times. It'll just be a beautiful song somebody wrote, you know? So I'm always, I guess my inspiration is just music itself, you know, and and what God shows me that goes with that music, you know? Can you remember the first time you heard a song that you wrote on the radio? Uh, I guess I probably could. I'm not sure, though. I I don't know. I know uh, my... First hit I had was with Bobby Lewis. Thing called "How Long Has It Been?" A long time ago. I'm not sure if I heard it on the radio or not. <laughs> uh, that's just I know I know the one that I heard on the radio that just startled me. Of all the things I've had out, the one that when I heard it on the radio, it just froze me in my tracks. It was uh, "Middle Age Crazy" with Jerry Lee Lewis. That record just when I heard it on the radio just. Just I froze. It was so uh, so unique and different and good. I thought so, but I can't remember the first time. I don't guess that's pretty jaded. <laughs> I want to talk about this album of yours, "A New Kind of High." I've been listening to it. It's it's really an interesting album. I've enjoyed listening to it a lot. How did you come up with that title, "A New Kind of High"? There's a. Uh, a song on that album called Look What I Missed. And uh, it says in there, uh, it's got a line in there, it says, I stay high like I tried, never could before. You know, Jesus took my whole life and gave it a meaning, look what I missed. To me, that was an indication of a new kind of high for, for a lot of people and for anybody that wants to try a spiritual deal. So, it just seemed like that should be the name of that album, you know, because it just felt so good. Plus, I had a a painting that I'd bought from, uh, actually, at a Goodwill store, this artist's rendition of the cover that I used. And uh, it has a, the sun's holding an ice cream cone, eating it, and the little animals are looking up, pointing at it. And it's just all a new kind of outfit, so that's, that's where I came up with it. There's a song of yours I want to ask about. I just think it's a an incredible song, very well-written song. John Connolly recorded it. You recorded your own version of it. I'm talking about Friday Night Blues. Can you remember what the inspiration of that was? I think it's pretty much my life, what I was going through. My poor wife was trying to live with a songwriter, and I was gone all the time trying to write and work at it, you know, and had very little time to be at home. And when I was, I mean, th- that was the story. It was kind of, that's kind of the way it was really, you know, I felt like I was, you know, not 
standing up to what I needed to do, but I couldn't because I was working, trying to make a living, you know, so. But that was the inspiration of that. You know, it occurred to me when I was listening to your version of that song, I was thinking country music is not afraid to have sad topics, sad subjects in it, more so than I think any kind of genre. Why do you think country music is more likely to delve into a subject that's sad? Well, it's the nature of of our music. I don't know. It's like uh, you have the uh, blues that we know as blues, but nobody talks about the country blues, you know? And uh, we have, our genre is the country blues. That's, that's where I look at it. Country music is a, or the old country music was definitely a form of, of country working man blues, you know? And we didn't have the black blues. And I think when we get into that, a lot of times we don't understand what we're dealing with, you know, but country, I don't know, being an old poor boy, it just seems to fit into our deal a lot. Being, being poor and trying to do better and, and be getting your heart broke and drinking on Saturday night, it just, I don't know, that's just part of life. And I, it seems like we do write about that a lot. You're right. And I don't know why exactly. Interesting. Why do you like country music? Cause it's, uh, it does what I just said. It, uh, <laughs> it's my form of blues. It's my favorite kind of blues. I'm all into to a real country song that just tears your heart out, you know? I like pop also, but not. If I want to really get down with my emotions, and get, I want to hear probably a good country song, you know? I don't know if that answered. No, I think it, did, it answered it very well. I like what you said, my kind of blues. <laughs> I like that. Who do you think did the best job of recording a Sonny Throckmorton song? Oh, boy, that'd be hard to say. Merle Haggard did a great job on The Way I Am. I know Conley cut some great records, you know, for me on Friday Night Blues. Some of those, boy, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to mention any of them, leave anybody out there. So many that cut my songs. One that was never a hit that I always loved a whole lot was uh, Emily Harris had her own version of The Last Cheater's Walls. And to me, that's just, uh, she knocked it out of the park. It's an incredible recording of that particular song. I don't know. I, I just have to say, you know, probably be 50 or 60 of them, but those, that's one that really stands out, particularly since it was never, it was never a hit by her. And it should have been because she she had the she put the deal on it, you know. I was mentioning at the beginning of the interview how many different songs you've had recorded. Not just the ones that have been recorded, but all in all, would you have any idea of how many songs you've written in your life? Um it'd be a rough guess, but I'd say maybe let me do a real quick calculation I had. You know what? It couldn't be too much more than 1,500, 1,500 songs, maybe. Wow. I didn't write a large amount of stuff. So I'm pretty slow, so the count wouldn't be tremendous. I wrote a lot more when I first started than when I, than I do now, you know, of course. 
but there's a reason for that. I think when you learn how to ride, it's harder to ride. So that slows you way down. You finally realize what you're riding. You've got to step up a notch. Then that there's not a, not as much of that available as there was. That just when you ride anything, you know. Hmm. So I think the longer you become, the longer you go as a rider, probably the least, uh, the less amount of, of work you turn out. One of the things we learn from listening to your album, A New Kind of High, is that you're a dog person rather than a cat person. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> I get a lot of comment on that song, by the way. I, when I play it in clubs or anywhere, uh, I've had women uh, stand up and just give me the dirtiest look and stomp <laughs> out of the stuff, you know? <laughs> then I've had them come up to me and they say, you know, I've got cats, but I just love that song and I love you. And it's, uh, that's what it's all about. I'm not, a, it's just, uh, you're probably referring to uh, the deal breaker song, I guess. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> I'd be curious to what people actually think about that song. I don't think anybody's playing it anywhere. And I'd love to get the reaction from a bunch of people, what they think about that, because I know, when I play it in clubs, it gets instant. Uh, uh, whatever you call it. I mean, I first time I played it in the club, I got instant attention. People coming up and watching it. It's like, it, it's kind of crazy. I never had a song quite do that before, the way that song does. But uh, you either hate it or you love it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, for all the listeners out there, we're going to play the song from Sonny Throgmorton. This is from his album, A New Kind of High, Deal Breaker. Somebody 
of your songs that was recorded by Johnny Duncan. You also recorded it. You wrote it with Bobby Braddock. I'm talking about Thinking of a Rendezvous. Uh-huh. What is it like to write with Bobby Braddock? Well, when we were writing together, it was just like another writer. You know, I mean, we, we uh, at Tree, they had the writers, that, you know, like Bobby Braddock and Curly Putman and Red Lane, Hank Cochran, and, and a bunch of great writers, you know, and uh, it was like Glenn Martin, a bunch of great writers. And it was like, I never knew who I was going to write with, you know. And when I wrote with Bobby, I think we wrote three or four songs, and is all we ever wrote together. And, and I think most of them, thank God, turned out to be hits. With Bobby, it was really great because, like, Bobby is a brilliant, brilliant uh, lyricist. I know, like, on thinking of a rendezvous, I'd written two verses in the course, and I played it for Bobby. And uh, this was both younger then, you know. Bobby said, I like it, but it needs another verse. And I said, well, Bobby, I'm, I can't write another verse. This is all I'm going to do. This all I got. And so he sat down to about 10 minutes and wrote the last verse. And that's kind of what it was like writing with Bobby Braddy. <laughs> he could do it. Could you say that there was a songwriter? You mentioned a few there. Of course, we were talking about Bobby Braddock, but Curly Putman. Would you say that there's a songwriter that taught you the most? Yeah, I'd be Curly Putman. And I wrote a lot of songs with Curly. We had several big hits. We actually wrote a song called uh, It's a Cheating Situation. It was a song Curly and I wrote together, which is, uh, I think we might have won the song of the year. And just, we wrote some of Smooth Sailing, a bunch of songs. And Curly was, taught me so many things about writing. He was just uh, such a pro and, and getting to sit down and work with him. And, it was at every appointment. As always, we'd just be there and we'd start writing, you know. And uh, it was like grabbing a Cadillac. <laughs> <laughs> what was Curly like as a guy, just when you were around him? Put him right at the top, anybody you'd ever want to meet. He hmm. was uh, such a good guy, such a gentleman, such a... He was a southern gentleman. He was from Alabama, and he didn't cuss. <laughs> I don't know what to think about that, but he didn't. And uh, he drank a little beer, but he didn't cuss. He was such a good guy. And I miss him today. And by the way, Curly, Curly's one of the all-time money makers, probably in country music as a writer. You know, he's probably made much more than anybody. You don't hear that from people, but he did. He, he did, you know. I know he had a hundred and something hits, wow. billboard hits. And he was telling me one day that, you know, he had, he stopped loving her today. And, oh, I know a bunch of great, uh, D-I-V-O-R-C-E, and on and on. But Curly said he had had like, I mean, he, I knew he'd had over 100 hits. But Curly told me that Green Green Grass Home made more money than all those songs put together. Very interesting. Well, a lot of these yeah. writers are inductees of the Songwriters Hall of Fame, and I'm hoping you can tell the listeners, what was it like for you? What was going through your head when you were inducted into the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame? Well, I mean, you know, you can only imagine what that would feel like. It's uh, something I never expected would ever happen, and it was 
it was super. Plus, I was inducted with Roy Orbison. We were the two inductees that year, and uh, I felt kind of uh, outweighed on stage <laughs> being up there with Roy. But it, it was a great deal, and they, you know, certainly, yeah, it's wonderful. Felt great. But you know, it don't feel as good as as having a number one record. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it don't feel as good as knowing that somebody come up and tell you like you did while ago. You know, I love this particular song. Or that to me, that is so much more. I get more out of that than I do the Hall of Fame thing. You know, nice. Uh, you know, there's some interesting artists who have recorded your songs. You you go through the list, and there's all kinds of stuff. Of course, a lot of country singers. But then you come upon songs like I Wish I Was 18 Again, recorded by George Burns. Yeah, that, that's a, uh, that was a funny thing, the way that came about. But I think George, that's, he's, I think he still holds the record of having the, being the oldest guy to have a hit on <laughs> Billboard. Be hit on Billboard, but I could be wrong. But he was, he was 90, I think, or 91, somewhere in there when he cut 18 again. Wow. So, and I got to meet George, and there again, he's like Curly Putman, just a fabulous, fabulous guy. You know, you couldn't ask for anybody nicer. I mean, just a great guy. And he had a big hit. It's surprising. It's the only one he ever had, but he had a big hit on that. Very interesting. You have this title cut on the new Willie Nelson album, and I think he just sang it so well. What did you think about Willie Nelson's take on Ride Me Back Home? You know what? It's really good. I I uh I I put it on my album, you know, the new kind of high and uh he heard it and cut it off that album. He's he's I've already got a couple of cuts off that album people Well Willie has cut a couple of songs already. And uh I just I'm s I just think he nailed it. You know, but Willie's such a great artist. I mean he can he can take any song and make it his. And it's just, that's the way it is. You know, uh, when Willie does one of your songs, it's no longer your song. People always refer to it as a Willie song, you know? Hmm. And that's how, how great a job he does on everything. He, he can take anything and make it Willie, you know? And uh, so lucky to get a record back at this time. And he's such a sweet guy. I love Willie. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the song The Cowboy Rides Away that George Strait recorded. Okay. Uh, that song, when I demoed it, I wrote it with Casey Kelly. And uh, when I demoed it, we had gone to training camp with the New Orleans Saints. I used to go down and hang out with them in the Bump Phillips would have us come down and I'd bring some riders down and we'd hang out at camp. And so we was down there and I played that song for uh, at the camp for, for the people there. And uh, Harlan Howard heard it and he just loved it. So uh, when we got back, Harlan went over and pitched it to the straight people. And of course they cut it and it was a big old hit. And you know, it's just great when when another writer takes your song and and pitches it above what he might pitch of his own that day, and uh, that's kind of the big story on that one, I think. But it's been a big song, you know. What do you think of George Strait? 
I think George has had a uh, tremendous, he's a great artist because of a lot of things. One of the main things that makes him a really great artist is he, he picks great songs. He's always, I think he's always had a pretty good ear to the ground on songs, you know. And he didn't write, so that never got in the way of him, you know, cutting bad songs. He mainly, I mean, up till now, he's been writing lately. But back then, you know, he didn't write, and he's just looking for hit songs. And we're so many writers, artists, you know, I'll take Vern Gosden, for instance. Vern wanted to, wanted to write everything, you know, that he cut. And, and George wasn't that way. And I think that made George the artist that he is because it's songs, it's songs, it's all about songs, you know. But I think he's a great artist. And I take it you've met him personally? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. Well, it's a funny story. I met him, can't even tell you a year, but he came to town for the, for the uh, CMA convention. And, uh, he and I both signed with MCA the very same month to record for MCA. So he came to my signing picture. And uh, when they put the picture in the in billboard, he's in the picture with me. So I guess I've had him that night. <laughs> but I don't recall it. <laughs> to be the truth, I don't. <laughs> I know I've had him that night because he's in the picture. <laughs> <laughs> What is the best thing about being Sonny Throckmorton? It's having people like you that respect what I do, and and for my that goes for my working deal, and and the biggest thing is having my children, having all my great friends, and just having a great life. God has been so good to me, you know. That's the best thing about being. <laughs> I always like to end my interviews. I just let the guest take the microphone. We've got all kinds of people listening in. What would you say to anyone who's tuned in? Anything at all? Mm. I guess it'd be that what everybody tell you. Just try to do what you do that you love and try to pursue your dreams. You know, uh, that's, to me, that's all life's about, you know. And if you want to build houses, go build them, you know. <laughs> you want to write songs, go write them. You want to, you know. But, I mean, that's not to say you can starve. I mean, you're going to starve doing it, but you won't. I'm not saying throw your life away totally, but if you can pursue your dream, and I think love the Lord, those two things, you got a pretty good shot at it. <laughs> My last question. Who is Sonny Throckmorton? Who would you say you are at heart? How would you define Sonny Throckmorton? Oh, Lord, I don't know. Probably a pretty simple person who I don't want too much. I just I like good food, good friends, and that pretty much makes me a rich man when I have that. That's basically it, you know. Well, Mr. Throgmorton, thank you very much for sharing with us. Thank you for being a guest on this show. It means a lot. It's a pleasure. Oh, well, thank you so much. And, and man, you do such a great job. And, Thank God for people like you that keeps carrying the torch for all of us, you know. And uh, thank you. My pleasure. All right, sir. I've enjoyed it. Me too. Until next time.
pop, pop, doodly zing, bang, doodly knock, cock, cheap, double, bibbidi, bata, gotcha, gee, da, po, pop, better, like a teen, oh, get a gig, bad, oh, no, oh, get a, 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 a,